You're listening to Fueling the Future of Transport, hosted by Tammy Klein, the founder and CEO of Transport Energy Strategies. We'll talk all about the fuels and energy it takes to keep the world moving forward. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the show today. So we're going to take a little bit of a detour um, from the regular interviews uh, with guests. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit more about at the end of the program about some exciting uh, guests we have coming on on the show um, in the full range of the transport energy space. But today, I want to talk to you about my predictions um, and what I'm watching um, for 2023. As some of you may know, um, I'm not just a podcast uh, host, although I do love that. I actually am a consultant and strategic advisor in the transport energy space, working on all kinds of issues, basically the ones that I'm going to be talking about today. Everything from policy issues, Um, not just in the United States, but globally. Um, I particularly watch uh, Europe and several uh, other regions and countries. Um, uh, So we're going to look at policy, market um, issues, uh, another mainstay of mine, and of course, technology uh, developments as well. So the show today is going to focus on the 10 top issues that I'm watching uh, for 2023. And I've separated it out into policy and uh, and market. So I could really go on uh, forever, but we're going to make this short, sweet, and succinct, and just kind of call out some of the things that I think are really, really important um, to look out for, what I'm watching for clients, um, and what I'm writing about for the Transport Energy uh, Outlook service. So this is a membership service um, that um, clients in the oil industry, in the auto industry, um, in the uh, biofuels and advanced alternative fuels industries um, subscribe to. And I think it does a really good job of providing kind of what we're talking about today, um, sort of the overview of what's happening um, and placing it in context with where broader energy trends um, are headed. So you can check that out on my website at www.transportenergystrategies.com. So let's get into what I think are the big issues uh, this year and what I'm going to be watching. So first and foremost, um, it's going to be the Inflation Reduction Act um, from the policy side, no question, no doubt. So uh, as you know, or you may know, um, the US Congress um, enacted and President Biden signed the Inflation Reduction Act uh, last late last summer. Um, and it, it's there's a whole range of different provisions in that legislation, a $369 U.S. billion down payment on trying to achieve the U.S.'s climate objectives. Um, There's really something for (laughs) everyone in the clean energy and clean tech space, right? Um, But there are provisions that concerned uh, cleaner fuels production, lower carbon fuels uh, uh, production, so uh, renewable diesels, advanced ethanols, advanced biofuels, sustainable aviation fuel has a a special credit. Um, But there also were credits uh, uh, 
passed for the first time a whole regime really um, for hydrogen, um, beefing up the carbon capture and storage uh, credit, for example, reworking and expanding um, clean power, renewable energy uh, incentives, um, and so forth. So it really was just the most um, wide scale um, action on climate and energy um, arguably ever, but definitely since the 2007 passage of the Energy Independence and Security Act. So the things that I'll be watching this year are how, so it's been passed and now uh, the IRS, the Internal Revenue Service has asked for comment on um, the implement, implementation of various uh, provisions, the ones that I've just talked about. Um, and I'll be very interested to see how um, the IRS um, interprets uh, those provisions and what kind of guidance is provided to, uh, you know, to uh, industry. So, um, and, and what kind of investments sort of um, come out of that, um, the certainty that comes out of that, that will allow uh, folks to invest. There's all, all, already, um, and I'm working with clients actually that are looking to do investments um, in these various areas uh, in the, the U.S. And, uh, and I'll be watching the implementation very, very closely. Um, I'll also be watching, although it's less, you know, the, 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 the question that comes up for, for people a lot is, you know, oh, but what about the Republicans? <laughs> um, what about, you know, now that the House is controlled by the Republican Party, um, are these provisions going to be rolled back? What's going to happen? Um, and I am less concerned about that. I think there will be a lot of noise in the media. Um, maybe there will be greater oversight in how monies um, are dispersed and spent. There'll be increased oversight over the IRS, but do I see a rollback um, for the IRA itself? I really don't. Um, and one good reason that is starting to be that I've, I've been telling clients and that is now starting to be uh, reported out there in the media is that you know re re Republicans uh, states. Um, are benefiting quite a lot from this legislation. You know, it's um, economic development and jobs uh, that are coming their way. And no one wants to look that gift horse, uh, so to speak, in the mouth. Um, so that's something I'll be watching really closely. The other thing I'm going to be watching is how other countries respond. So Canada was, I think, among the first to really come out and say, hmm, we think we want to do a similar type of IRA um, targeted uh, for industry and our market. And hydrogen, um, supporting hydrogen development was something that really came up in the prime minister's uh, mini budget, uh, I believe that came out in November of last year. So that's one example. Um, the other example is the Europeans uh, looking to do um, something similar to the U.S. policy to uh, support European industry. So I'll be watching those policies um, very closely um, and uh, the response uh, as well. So that's number one. That's the big one is IRA and sort of all the associated impacts. The second one I'm going to be watching closely is how and if um, the various assorted policies under uh, the EU's Fit for 55 
progresses forward. So under Fit for 55, there were, I don't know, at least what, 15, 20 different types of policies um, that are in some stage of development. And, you know, the war in Ukraine and the energy price situation there, I think, has really put a crimp um, on um, Europe's ability to finalize and promulgate uh, those policies. We know that we have a CO2, 100% CO2 reduction um, in car policy. That's among the first policies that were passed under the under the Fit for 55 flagship. Um, but what I'm really going to be watching is how the others progress. The ones I'm really interested in are um, Repower EU, um, very interested in Refuel EU and how um, the Trilogue uh, negotiation goes for sustainable aviation fuel. Um, similarly, I'm very interested in how uh, Fuel EU Maritime, um, how that um, how that goes. And the other one that I'm really watching is um, the Alternative Fuels um, uh, Infrastructure Regulation, AFER, um, for electric vehicle charging. So now we have this 100% CO2 reduction policy, and ASEA, which represents the car industry in Europe, has been very vocal in saying, hey, we don't have enough charging points. There's not, a, there's not strong enough policies um, to incent um, the number of charge points that we need to really be able to support the scale-up uh, in electric uh, vehicles that we see uh, coming um, um, and that the policy is going to cause to happen in the coming years. So how do we deal with that? Um, so that's what I'm really watching to see, you know, what those policies end up being um, and are they going to be enough to incent, uh, um, you know, the expansion of, of, of charging. So that's just a sampling of Fit for 55, but I'm interested in other, other policies as well. So um, car, um, ETS, uh, for example, I'm interested in the carbon border um, adjustment mechanism. And these are all topics that I'll be um, covering for, um, for members of my, of my service, the Transport Energy Outlook. The third uh, sort of set of policies that I'm interested in this year um, are the revision um, and strengthening of the low carbon fuel standard. Um, that's the California policy. And sort of where the California Air Resources Board lands in terms of strengthening that policy. Um, you know, some modeling, there's, there's no uh, percentage point and date set per se, but the state is on a trajectory to reach net zero by 2045. So that'll necessitate a tightening of the LCFS far beyond uh, what we have in place uh, right now. And some of the modeling has even looked at a 90% uh, reduction target by 2045. So I'm really interested to see how, um, how that goes. There's been some modeling that suggests to me um, that, you know, perhaps there may not be a future uh, for biomethane or renewable natural gas in the transportation um, uh, market. And I'm really interested to see, and, and that was the subject, by the way, of of a furor, <laughs> I would say, as someone who listened to that public workshop um, in uh, November. Um, 
And rightly so. The policy actually, I would argue, incented the creation of an entire industry. Um, and now uh, the board is saying, well, maybe not, um, is sort of how I interpreted it. And so that that could be really problematic. And it could certainly be problematic when we consider that the uh, US EPA is considering um, launching its ERIN um, program to allow for the generation of renewable identification numbers from renewable electricity. Um, and that re renewable electricity, at least initially, will come from RNG. So it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting dichotomy here. It doesn't mean the RNG industry will go away. I think the vision for, for RNG in the board scoping plan seems to be focused on industrial um, and other sorts of hard to abate um, sectors, and hopefully there would be policies that would support a, a transition for the industry, but it is a little bit of a, a rug puller. So this isn't final action. It really was just this workshop was just the first sort of um, analysis and salvo and hearing from the public, and they certainly got an earful. Um, but I'm really interested to see overall how the board proceeds um, with tightening uh, the LCFS and then, you know, yeah, what happens um, with biomethane in that process? I'm also watching other states and whether we'll see action on clean fuel standards, similar to what we see in California, um, in Oregon, and now in Washington, which is launching its clean fuel standard program. Last year, the state of New Mexico came very close uh, to enacting um, a clean fuel standard program. Um, we'll see what happens this year. Uh, New York is another uh, possibility. Minnesota is another possibility. And I think there are others out there as well. So clean fuel standards are always um, um, very um, important uh, for clients, and I know for all of you out there. Um, I'm also watching to see how the Canadian clean fuel regulation is implemented now that it's been finalized and promulgated. So the fourth policy that I'm I'm really sort of watching is this national internal combustion engine vehicle phase out slash 100% ZEV uh, target um, policies that are beginning to be set around the world. And I can't remember the, the number, but there are at least 20 or 30 countries, probably more at this point, that have pledged to phase out um, internal combustion engine vehicles. Actually, it's probably closer to, to 40. And the timeline's generally somewhere between 2035 uh, and 2040. And now we have a number of US states that are prepared to do the same. So I'm watching what's called the Advanced Clean Car 2 program that's uh, coming out of California. That was finalized uh, last year. And um, there are a handful of states that I expect um, and already are following and we'll begin implementing that program. So I'm really interested to see um, how those policies uh, proceed or if they do. Um, that's been a question in some states like Virginia, uh, which has a Republican governor, <laughs> which who has tried to overturn um, Virginia's laws that require them to follow California's program, so far unsuccessful. Um, but I'm interested to see how um, how states, U.S. states, uh, respond, and 
you know, right now from a, from a, so from that's from a subnational point of view and then from a national point of view, uh, watching to see what the teeth are. So it's one thing I think to pledge and put in a press release that you're phasing out um, or you're instituting 100% zero emission vehicle sale. But then, you know, pun intended, the rubber hits the road um, and the implementation has to happen. And I'm not really seeing a lot of that so far. There's not a lot of teeth, implementation or enforcement teeth just yet beyond the policy that's on the books um, now for the EU. So that'll be something that I'll, I'll be continuing to watch. And then the last sort of policy area relates to sustainable aviation fuel. So um, there are a number of uh, countries that are looking at uh, mandates. Um, the EU uh, through Fit for 55 um, is looking at a mandate as well. So I'll, I'll be watching to see um, uh, policies in that regard. But then also with, with SAF, I will be looking to see how things like book and claim um, gets uh, implemented. So um, there's not an agreed upon right now or standardized approach that's been adopted by the entire uh, global aviation value chain for the accounting and reporting of SAF. But I think that that's going to quickly change. There's two organizations, the Sustainable Aviation Buyers Alliance, SABA, and the CST Initiative through the World Economic Forum that are developing book and claim certificates to, to verify SAF volumes, uh, greenhouse gas emission reductions, uh, sustainability, and other measures. So that'll be the, the implementation of that. And then the impact on the market is something that I'll be watching this year. Okay, so that is sort of the top five policies. It's not the only thing I'll be watching this year, but it's some of the big, big, big um, uh, policies that I'll be looking at. And now, you know, let's turn to the market side of the equation. So we're on SAF. So number six, SAF. <laughs> so let me read you a few statistics about SAF. Just a few years ago, not even three years ago, four years ago, SAF was kind of um, you know, there have been pathways developed. Corsia under the ICAO um, was, uh, you know, was in the process of being developed. There were, um, there's a lot of R&D, a lot of uh, uh, pilot demonstration projects, some beginnings of commercial scale up, but not really that much. And now, you know, the game has completely changed. So let me read you a few sort of market-related statistics. So according to ICAO, ICAO, there are 115 countries participating in the Corsia program at this time. So that's the, the, the voluntary, it's a voluntary uh, program. And I think that in itself is going to translate into growing demand for SAP. Um, so 12 countries plus the EU are developing policies that impact um, SAF, just as I spoke about a little bit earlier. 38 of the world's top airlines have committed to net zero emissions, either by 2050, 2050 or earlier, and almost 30 have set some kind of SAF adoption target. As of November of 2022, 115 projects have been publicly announced globally in 30 countries with over 70 individual producers. That's a real eye-opener. Uh, 
Um, announced capacity is on track to reach about 16, a little more than 16 billion liters by 2026 um, with the um, hydro process pathway being the, the most represented at two thirds. And I actually think the 16 billion liters is, a, is an understatement. I think we could have actually much more than that. And there are 92 offtake agreements with airlines and between airlines and producers at this time. And half of those were concluded in 2022 alone. So it's an amazing growth um, that we're seeing for, for SAF. And it makes sense, right? I mean, the alternatives haven't quite come yet, right? One of them is hydrogen. Um, one of them is electrification. Not really sure I see that happening beyond like really short flights. Um, electrofuels um, still also haven't quite come yet. Um, so what do we have now in a hard to decarbonize sector um, with uh, a lot of intense pressure on the airlines to uh, decarbonize and decarbonize now? It's SAF. So I've always said that SAF is, you know, um, a, a market, a ready market. You know, the demand was always there. I can't say that about every biofuel <laughs> type um, that I've ever worked on in my in my over 25 years of doing this. Um, but SAF was always quite different. It was always uh, a demand uh, waiting for the production. And now that that's that's coming. So number seven, shipping. So really, really watching shipping. Um, and the the race to refuel that sector. So biodiesel comes up a lot. Um, ammonia um, is presented as an option. But the one that I'm really watching carefully is methanol. So recently um, for clients and the uh, public invited guests, uh, we held a webinar a uh, web conference with Maersk, uh, with the Methanol Institute, and with Methanex, one of the largest methanol producers in the world, to talk about the future of methanol, and in particular, the potential impact for shipping. So let me just read you a statistic uh, from Maersk. Uh, Maersk plans to procure uh, 730 tons per year green methanol by the end of 2025. And then in that presentation, I can't quite recall all the statistics, but there were amazing statistics about um, you know, the vessels um, that are in dry dock in South Korea uh, being created that will run on uh, methanol. So I'm really interested to see um, Methanol's development um, in the sector. Methanol is used in various aspects of the transport energy sector, um, but I'm interested to see how uh, methanol begins to scale up. Um, and also very interested in green methanol and methanol as a platform for hydrogen and electrofuels production. So the eighth uh, uh, topic that I'll be watching this year is hydrogen. So hydrogen's everywhere. Um, <laughs> hydrogen is like the new black dress, a uh, little black dress. Um, I am working on an analysis uh, right now, looking at oil company investments. It's an annual survey that I do for my members um, where I analyze um, oil company investments. And the top two investments 
that oil companies around the world are making is a number one far and away um, hydrogen. So blue hydrogen and also uh, green hydrogen. And the second um, the, the second um, most invested area is carbon capture and storage, which goes right along with hydrogen. So I think the, the, the estimate, the target for hydrogen um, is five to 600 million tons um, by um, 2015, uh, 2050, 2050, uh, not 2015. Um, and I actually think that that um, could be um, an underestimate given um, sort of what we're seeing in terms of, of development of the technology. And I think that'll only be hastened um, by IRA uh, policies and IRA-like policies that other countries are contemplating. Number nine, novel fuels. And um, that's renewable fuels of non-biological origin, um, watching those. So biomethane is, is one. I already talked about that a little bit. Um, definitely a lot of scale up happening here in the US, also in Europe. Um, but I'm really looking also at e-fuels. There are 14 projects underway globally. So again, a few years ago, this was a fuel that was sort of a laboratory um, fuel um, at the demo stage um, and primarily um, at labs in Germany. And now we have com uh, companies around the world, including several in the US and most certainly in, in Europe um, that are full scale um, trying to and, and looking to uh, scale up and commercialize the technology. So we have 14 projects with an estimated 500 million liters of production potential uh, by 2026. And I think the way things are going, you know, and again, those are pre-IRA numbers. So I think the way things are going, we might see uh, much more than that. And then number 10, last but not least, um, is electrification. So um, we have a lot of uh, more models on the market, um, definitely in the US, um, in the West, um, in Europe, in Canada, in other, other places. So um, the pace of, um, of scale up is something to watch. The impact on the liquid fuel uh, market is definitely something to watch. Really interested in um, heavy duty um, electrification versus hydrogen um, development for long haul trucking um, in that space. Um, and I'm also looking at charging. So I mentioned AFIR, AFIR in the EU to expand uh, charging. Um, here, I'll be watching the NEVI funding um, rollout uh, to expand charging um, in this country. And there, there are a lot of issues. There are, um, there's so much potential and there's so much funding um, out there as a result of the bipartisan infrastructure legislation. And then previous to that, the, um, the Volkswagen um, settlement Diesel gates get settlement, um, but I'm really interested to see how the kinks start getting worked out from the policy side. So expedited permitting, streamlined permitting for um, so that charging can get installed quickly. How um, utilities and and in particular public utility commissions um, respond. I've often wondered 
if the public utility commission process really isn't that conducive to <laughs> the quick spread of um, of electric vehicle charging, because a lot needs to happen very quickly, um, and a lot involves the utility, um, but a lot needs to be approved by the PUC to make that happen, and processes can be a little slow. So I wonder if PUCs will ultimately end up adapting, or um, or what will happen there, and then just technology development it's, itself. So this podcast isn't about technology per se, but I'm interested in technology technology development um, for charging um, to make the charging process easier for the consumer and also um, for the provider or the site host um, and how that ends up, um, you know, how that's how that's going to roll out. So there's so many um, nuances in, in the space and I could devote a whole show just to, to talking about uh, to talking about that. And this is an area that I've done an awful lot of work on um, over the last um, four or five years. So those are the top 10. So um, before we close, um, we've got some great guests. I'm so excited for 2023. So you've heard from me, um, my top 10 uh, issues that I will be uh, watching. And the idea is to have the guests on um, from all of these different spaces to come and talk about um, what's happening in their companies, what they're doing, how they see the evolution of policy, the impact on the market, um, technology development for all of these different types of transport energy issues. So super excited. We have interviews uh, coming up with United Airlines to talk to them about SAF, uh, with uh, Aramco to talk about um, their R&D um, into fuels and how they see the future um, of sustainable uh, mobility uh, for all. Um, super excited to have Electrify America um, talk about um, what they're doing in the charging space. So that's just a slice uh, of what's coming up uh, ahead um, in 2023. So thanks so much for tuning in. If you're interested, again, in these issues, you're covering, you're following all of these issues, you're looking for competitive intelligence, you're looking for research analysis, um, you know, contact me about the Transport Energy Outlook Service. Um, it's affordable and it's so, so useful in terms of providing the contextual view of what's happening um, in the key markets. Um, on these very, very key issues. So that's the show. Thanks for listening. And I'm excited for the adventure that's going to be 2023. Let's stay tuned. You've been listening to Fueling the Future of Transport. This show is hosted and edited by Tammy Klein, produced by Carolyn Schneer and engineered by Alexander Nikolic. To hear more great episodes of this show, learn more, and sign up for a free bi-weekly newsletter, visit transportenergystrategies.com.